This morning we're going to talk about the spirit of faith and then specifically about how faith works. So 2 Corinthians 4.13, uh, it says, We having the same spirit of faith. We having. So he said, we're not trying to get it. He said, we got it. We have it. So if you got it, nothing wrong with saying you got it. Right? So if you ask the Apostle Paul, what do you have that makes you so productive as a Christian? Probably the most productive Christian follower of Jesus in history was the Apostle Paul. Let's try that one more again. The, the most productive Christian follower of Jesus in history, and yet the man who had the most adversity mm -hmm. and trouble. Mm -hmm. And if you were to ask the Apostle Paul, what is it that keeps you going when you feel like quitting, when all your friends leave you? Actually, one place Paul said, all men forsook me. That means, you know, some of us get upset if we lose one friend. Right. Paul said, all of them left me. <laughs> he said, all men forsook me. He said, but the same night, the Lord stood by me. Amen. So it's when some people walk out, Jesus walks in. So you almost want to send them a letter and say, thanks for leaving when you did. Because when you left, Jesus walked in. But uh, in other words, Paul was not upset, you know. He just kept going. How did he keep going? Well, he said, what we have is the same spirit of faith. That's what we have. Amen. So if you'd ask Paul, what do you have? Keeps you going. He said, spirit of faith. That's what we have. And when he said the same, well, that means a couple of things. That means, number one, the spirit of faith really is always the same. Never changes. Actually, these three things will last forever. Eternal things. Faith, hope, and love. These three things are eternal. So, always works the same. From all the way from Genesis 1 all the way to the New Testament. Spirit of faith works the same. So Paul said that's what we have is we have the same spirit of faith. But specifically when he said the same spirit of faith, he was actually referring to the psalmist David because yeah. he's quoting in that verse from the psalmist David. Yeah. So how many would agree that David had a spirit of faith? Yes. <laughs> Amen. And I looked one time at Hebrews chapter 11 and I was studying Hebrews 11. Sometimes I like to study a whole chapter at a time. So I was studying Hebrews 11. And it listed the heroes of faith, some of them, in Hebrews 11. And it says in Hebrews 11, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, 20 times. There's one through faith. So 19 by faith, one through faith. 20 times. 20 times. If you refer to faithfulness and, and believing, it'd be actually be more than that. So the Holy Spirit chose to use that phrase 20 times in one chapter wow. in the Bible. Wow. In other words, even if you're a slow learner, you can catch on that this is an important <laughs> phrase. <laughs> I mean, if you're like, all right, I think what he's trying to tell me here is by faith. In other words, the significance of this individual's life mentioned in Hebrews 11, and it lists a bunch of them, the significance of their life happened because of and by faith. In other words, if you'll study Hebrews 11, there's a lot of um, people with defects in Hebrews 11. Actually, if you know the Bible, you know there's some people in there 
that's got some flaws, that these are not what you call perfect people, and yet they made it in Hebrews chapter 11. So I actually told the Lord one time, I said, Lord, if I was you, I actually would have edited the Bible <laughs> because I wouldn't want everybody to know the problems that my kids had. In other words, you just want to tell the high and the good, you know, and the best, but the Bible really includes everything about that person's life so that you know that even though this person had some flaws or some defects, yet by faith, their life became extremely significant by faith. So I said, Lord, how come you included all the flaws? He said, well, because 2,000 years later, somebody's going to have some flaws and defects, and the devil's going to tell them they're disqualified, but if they'll dare to believe God, I'll make their life significant. Amen? And your faith, come on, a real and authentic faith in God doesn't mean that you don't have any challenges in your life. Come on. Right? And so uh, one time I went to buy my wife a diamond years ago, and, uh, and uh, I was looking at diamonds, and they said, well, we've got these other things called these uh, cubic zirconiums. They're a lot cheaper. <laughs> and they uh, look identical, right? And they're a lot cheaper, and they said, actually, uh, if you get a diamond, then you have to know a lot about them. So they're actually grading diamonds based on their clarity, you know, and different flaws that are in the diamonds and the size of the diamond. So they're telling me all this, and I'm like, you know, I really don't understand all that. Okay, I do know it's going to cost me more money, right? <laughs> and so uh, I got my wife a diamond. But they said if you got her a CZ, cubic zirconium, looked just like a diamond, that they are actually flawless. But actually, all diamonds have a defect. All diamonds. They said if you get it under the uh, microscope and look at it, then there will be a little flaw in all diamonds. But uh, cubic zirconiums are really worth very little, and they're fake. So if the devil's pointing out your flaws, Come on, at least you can tell him, at least I'm not a cubic zirconium. At least I'm a diamond. That means that makes you more valuable, right? So don't destroy your faith while the devil's pointing out your flaws. In other words, your, your faith is authentic. And so in Hebrews 11, you got by faith 20 times. And now listen, this is one of my favorites. The Message Bible says, by an act of faith. In other words, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, 20 times by faith, by faith. The Message Bible, rather than just saying by faith, says by an act of faith. Everybody say an act of faith. Because faith requires corresponding action. Faith requires corresponding. In other words, the word believe is a verb. Believe is a verb. That means when you believe, it requires how are you going to act. Or you could say faith moves something. And the first part of you, your faith moves, would be your mouth. Your mouth. If your faith is not strong enough to move your mouth, then it's not going to move nothing else. It won't move a mouth. So now we're going to look initially on how faith works here because everything I learned about faith, I learned from uh, Dad Hagen, from my own dad, and by the Holy Spirit, and through a lot of errors. 
<laughs> and, and having to make a lot of adjustments. Like, all right, well, you know, it's like, <laughs> what did uh, uh, Thomas Edison or somebody say? They said, well, we see you have, uh, you know, 10,000 failures. He said, no, I just found 10,000 ways it don't work, so I'm fixing working on the way it does work. <laughs> so no matter how many times you fail, in other words, God will help you make some adjustments yeah. in your faith. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So when he says, by faith, then when Paul says, uh, we have the same spirit of faith referring to who? David. He's referring to David. The psalmist David. Wow. You would have to agree that he had that spirit of faith. That's what he had. And uh, if killed a lion, killed a bear, <laughs> ran at Goliath when even the best soldiers were afraid, he's got something bigger than just talent, come on, the intellect. He has a spirit of faith. All right, And the spirit of faith is not just some formula. The spirit of faith literally is a fire. A fire. How do you know that? Psalms chapter 18. David said, the Lord will light my candle, and then I'll run through the troop, and I'll jump over the wall, and I'll chase my enemies down. So he's got a real attitude. But when did that happen? After the Lord, come on, my candle was lit by the Lord. Then I could run through the troop and jump over the wall. But I've been to the church, what I call it, the first flat-faced church, where people actually ran at the wall and didn't get over it. Well, that, those kind of people, it's hard to even get them to believe again sometimes. But the problem is, is they ran at the wall before they got their candle lit. In other words, the spirit of faith is a fire where God lights your spirit with the fire of his word and his presence and his power. Once you get lit on the inside, then you can get over the wall. Then the spirit of faith, three kinds. All right, now, three kinds of people in the spirit of faith, three kinds. Well, first of all, they're what we call pioneers, pioneers, then they're settlers, and then there's museum keepers. Well, here we are in Washington, D.C., so you know there's a lot of museums. All right? And, uh, you know, you can enjoy the museums, right? And you can see things that other people did. You can actually be inspired. I mean, the, well, the uh, uh, aviation museum's got the uh, uh, jet hanging in there from uh, um, the X-1 from... Uh, Chuck Yeager, who's, we, I read his book years ago, Chuck Yeager, what he did with the X-1, first man to break the sound barrier. Man, so I, I, I don't I've never met him. I actually have flown in uh, in my jet to West Virginia to his airport. And he's in his 90s, I think, now. And so I said, you know, is there any way you could have Chuck show up next time I fly in here? Because I'd sure like to meet him, maybe get an autograph. You know, it's kind of one of my heroes. Well, what Chuck Yeager did, I mean, you can see that's pretty amazing. While all the other test pilots were afraid to fly and go Mach 1 or supersonic, first man to break the sound barrier, all the other test pilots were afraid. They wanted guarantees. How much are you going to pay me if I do this? Chuck Yeager said, ah, you're already paying me, which was hardly nothing. He said, you're already paying me, the government. He said, you're already paying me. Don't worry about it. You're pay me nothing. I'm just glad to do it. And the day he broke the sound barrier, he had actually been riding his horse the day before, got knocked off, broke his ribs. 
did not even tell the instructor, the one that's putting him in the thing here, and he didn't even tell him because he's afraid he wouldn't let him fly that day. So he had to uh, cut a broom handle off to be able to get into the X1 and get the door fastened down. He had to have a broom handle. Well, many times he had come up to uh, the sound barrier, you know, which was 700 miles an hour approximately, and get up to 700, and he'd come up to it at, at uh, 600, 650, 670, and have so much rattling and shaking that they were uh, afraid. Everybody say afraid. afraid. Well, that's why everybody else didn't even get into it. They are afraid. And they said the sound barrier is what they call uh, the great unknown. Or they believe there's a monster beyond that barrier that nobody can go that fast and live. That you would disintegrate if you ever go break the sound barrier, which is 700 miles an hour. But they had to do that, not because that was significant, but because we were actually in a, in a race after World War II for superiority in weaponry and our uh, military because if the Soviet Union got ahead of us, and so the race was to get to the moon, not just break the sound barrier. So Chuck Yeager, pioneer, right? He gets in there, takes off. Well, they had tried, had to land, had to make adjustments, but on the day that he broke, it, said he got right up there next to it and rattling and shaking. He said, but today's going to be the day, and he broke 700 miles an hour. They asked him, what was that like? He said, well, it was actually like sipping lemonade on the front porch. In other words, what everybody was afraid of was easy. He said, because the real barrier was not in the sky. What we thought was the barrier, he said the real barrier was in the knowledge of supersonic flight. All right, let's try that one. The real barrier, come on now, that's what, not what you think is the problem. The real barrier is in your knowledge of supersonic flight. But when it comes to your faith, the real barrier is in your knowledge of the word of God and the faithfulness of God. Once you break that barrier, you can break every other barrier. So why is he rattling and shaking at Mach 1? Well, because, uh, you know, it's a radical change to go supersonic. Boy, but, you know, that was only the first one. After he went Mach 1, then he went Mach 2. <laughs> then he went Mach 3. And so the reason the devil will rattle you at Mach 1 is because if you ever get Mach 1, you're going to be getting Mach 2. Then you're going to be Mach 3. And now, now they got jets that'll go Mach 10. So, so there's a lot of times the and the devil say, you're disqualified. You've got too many flaws. You're too young. You're too old. You don't have enough money. You ain't smart enough. But if you have a spirit of faith, come on now, you can break that barrier and go on from 1 to 2. To three. Hallelujah. So the spirit of faith is a real thing that you can actually catch. You can catch. So the principles of faith are taught, and they must be taught, but the spirit of faith is more than just a formula. It is caught. All right? Timothy caught it from Paul. <laughs> Amen? Elisha caught it from Elijah. Joshua 
caught it from Moses. Joshua watched Moses' fellowship with God in relationship and his prayer. Joshua watched the way Moses prayed, and man, the glory of God. And so Joshua was the only man who had the nerve to command the sun to stand still. Why? Just so he could finish his fight. And the Bible says the Lord never hearkened to a man before or after like he hearkened to the voice of Joshua. I mean, most of us wouldn't even dare to try to make it stop raining. But Joshua (laughs) commanded the sun to stand still, and he didn't really even know what happened, but the earth actually stopped rotating for almost a whole day, and somebody on the other side of the world is in darkness. Come on. And they're saying, what's happening? Are they in the world? He said, no, just Joshua's finishing up a fight, so I had to stop. So apparently, really, all things are possible if you could dare to believe. All right, let's try that again. I said, actually, all things are possible if you can dare to believe. Amen. And so with the spirit of faith, three kinds of people. One is a pioneer. Two is a settler. Three is a museum keeper. The problem with museum keepers sometimes, rather than getting inspired by what they see in a museum, they actually think that that's the highest level of achievement. So the museum keepers just dust off the memories of the past. A settler is someone who finds their comfort zone and just stops there and lives in their comfort zone. A pioneer is someone who is constantly pressing for new territory. Let's try that one more time. Spirit of faith. Pioneer spirit that is constantly doing what? Pressing for new territory. In other words, a spirit of faith, you believe your best blessings have not happened yet. All right, let's try that. I said, if you have a spirit of faith, you believe your best miracles have not happened yet. In other words, God has never used you the way he's going to use you in the days that are ahead and the months that are ahead. In other words, with a spirit of faith, you're able to forget those things which are behind and press for those things that are ahead. So that's an attitude that you develop in life. And someone asked Norman Vincent Peale, I think he was about 80 or 90, what was the best 10 years of his life? And he said, I have not lived them yet. So you have to be careful that you don't just settle down and start looking into the past over what your best years were. Because when you have a spirit of faith, you believe your best days are still ahead of you. Praise the Lord. Now, Here's the spirit of faith has two ingredients, and we're just going to focus on these, where he says, I believe and I speak, quoting from the psalmist David. I believe, I speak. I believe and I speak. That means if you're going to live by faith, that means you're going to have to do two things. Make sure your believer's on and make sure your speaker's on. (laughs) Or you're going to have to make sure your speaker is connected to your believer. Or you could say, if you're not careful, your speaker can get connected to your feelings and your circumstances and your kinfolk's opinions. So you have to make sure that your speaker is connected to your believer because when you believe and speak, that's the spirit of faith. So it's not enough to be a believer. You must also speak. Or I like to say it this way, your mountain needs to hear your voice. You need to hear the pastor's voice, and you need to hear the minister's voice, but your mountain needs to hear your voice. 
Let's try that again. I said, you need to hear. Come on, we all need to hear instruction from those that are teaching us. But when it comes to our mountain, we're going to have to speak. Jesus said it will obey you in Matthew 17, 20. Then he said, whosoever will have whatsoever he saith. In other words, there's some things you just can't say for somebody else. Amen? That's why when you're raising kids, you have to teach them about the spirit of faith because the spirit of faith will cause you to supersede even your talents and your intellect. Praise the Lord. So if you think you're not as smart as other people, come on, you may think you're not as good looking as other people. You may think you don't have as much money as other people. Come on, you may think you're not as talented as other people. But Paul said, let me tell you what I have. I have, we have the same identical spirit of faith. Same thing David had, come on, I have the same thing. So the spirit of faith works the same. I believe and I speak. So here's the way Dad Hagen said it real quickly here. He said, believing and speaking opens the door to the supernatural. That's pretty simple, isn't it? In other words, this is how faith works. I believe and I speak. Believing and speaking opens the door to the supernatural. Or, he said it this way, many people are looking for the spectacular and they miss the supernatural. All right, let's try that one more time. Many people are looking for what? The spectacular. They're, they're waiting to be wowed by something. going on, And then they miss the supernatural. In other words, the door to the supernatural swings just by believing and speaking opens the door to the supernatural. Woo. That's how faith with God works. That's how faith works, right? So here's the way the Lord explained it to me over a period of, you know, years. Saying, now, how does that work? You know, because I just want to understand how it works. Because really, in this situation, I'm the believer and God's the performer. All right, let's try that one more time. You're the believer. God's the performer. In other words, there's no pressure on you to make it happen. The only pressure that might be on you is for you to believe. Because if you can believe and speak, you open the door and God is the performer. He performs. Actually, God is well known from some pretty amazing performances. <laughs> he is famous for performances. I mean, you, I mean, Hollywood has no kind of performance like God has, man. And he can do it at the most unusual times. And then the Lord said it to me this way one time. He said, he said, just because you know how faith works does not mean you know how God's going to do your miracle. All right, let's go one more time. In other words, you and I can learn how faith works, how to feed our faith, how to exercise our faith, but that does not mean we know how God's going to do that miracle. The moment you try to be the performer is when you get that ugly look on your face. <laughs> like you're trying to make it happen. But if you'll stay in the believing department and let God stay in the performance department and be fully persuaded what God has promised, he is able also to perform. Go ahead and laugh about that. Uh -huh. Hallelujah. So now, to open the door to the supernatural are to have faith in God. So go to Mark 11, 22 and 23, and we'll kind of wrap up this one right here. Mark 11, 22 and 23. So here's what Jesus said about faith. How many think he might be an expert? <laughs> Amen. You can argue with anybody you want, but I do not encourage you arguing with Jesus. So, so... <laughs> 
He'd been around a long time. All right? And so Jesus said, have faith in God, Mark eleven twenty two, Mark eleven twenty two, Praise the Lord. <laughs> and then in verse 23, he's going to make it so simple, you actually need a theologian to get confused about it. I said, Jesus is going to make it so simple. Matter of fact, Brother Hagin said he's talking to the Lord one time, and the Lord told him, said, all of my sermons were very simple. He said, if you hear anybody preaching anything too complicated, you know they didn't get it from me. But he said, all my sermons are very simple. Right? So here's what Jesus said about faith. Here's how faith works. Have faith in God, verse 23, and Jesus said, Verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, I'm not really that smart. I learned this from Dad Hagen. Dad Hagen said, the Lord told him one time, did you ever notice I mentioned the saying part three times in reference to the believer and the believing part only once. The Lord told him that. He said he was praying. The Lord said, did you ever notice? Boy, he turned over in his Bible, King James Bible, Mark eleven twenty three. 23, turned over there, and he actually counted it. He said, I never noticed that. He said, and I had read the New Testament through 150 times. Now, I don't know if you're on your 75th time or what it is you're on, but he said, I read, Brother Hagin said, I read the New Testament through 150 times, and I never noticed that the saying part was in verse 23 three times, and the believing part was only in there once. All right, let's try this side over here. He said, I never noticed that. Amen. <laughs> Let me know that repetition is necessary. Yes. Y'all got kids, you know that. Repetition is necessary. And I like to say Dad Hagen set me free from the fear of repetition. Amen. In other words, he taught on it so much, I went, really? All right, now, whosoever shall say three times the saying part in reference to the believer. So he said, the Lord told him, you'll have to do three times more teaching on the saying part than you do on the believing part, or my people will not get it. He said, most of my people are not missing it in the believing department because they are believers. They're missing it in the saying department. And I said, you'll have what you say. Yeah. Hmm. So that means even if you're silent, you could lose by default. So sometimes the Lord will even deal with you about a situation you're dealing with, and the Lord will say to you, what have you been saying about that? And sometimes I've told the Lord, well, really nothing. He said, well, that's why you're getting the results that you're getting. In other words, your words give you dominion over demons and disease and circumstances because he said mountains shall be removed, and your words actually activate angels. Angels are activated by the words of a believer. Praise the Lord. Amen. So he says, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So he starts with whosoever and he goes to whatsoever. Whosoever shall have whatsoever. Let's say that together. Whosoever shall have whatsoever. Now, I heard a lot of sermons in my life because my dad's a pastor. But for some reason, I just really liked Kenneth Hagin, when he came to my dad's church. 
He came to my dad's church, man, and he taught. He wasn't really a preacher. He would teach. For some reason, I disliked him. You know, he wasn't really cool, you know what I mean? But you think you're looking for cool in people. He wasn't really the coolest thing. Didn't have no skinny jeans and, you know, no holes in them and stuff like that. And his hair wasn't just right, you know. But he was just teaching the truth. Boy, I was just 17. Boy, I heard him teaching. I went, wow, whosoever shall have whatsoever, he saith. So he said, if you're not happy with what you have in life, check out what you've been saying. <clears throat> I was only 17. Well, I wasn't happy. You don't even have to wait till you're 40 to be unhappy. I was, you don't even have to wait till you're married to be unhappy. That's just a joke. Anyway, so I was only 17, and I was pretty much what? Unhappy. Have you ever seen a teenager that's unhappy? Did you know the suicide rate among 14-year-olds has multiplied in recent years? Unhappy teenager. So I was unhappy, come on, just as a teenager. And when he said, here's where the problem is, he said, you are a believer, but you're having trouble with what you're saying and what you're singing, is what the Lord told me, because I was listening to a lot of music and repeating the words of heathens. Come on, 17, I'm listening to all that music. Come on, pumping it into my brain and repeating those words. And finally one day the Lord said, is that what you want to have is what that guy said? Come on, Pastor. Come on, on the highway to hell, really? <laughs> Cocaine. All right, so now, you say, well, I like the beat. Well, that's what's killing you right there. So in other words, he said, what you're saying Come on, if you're not happy, what have you been saying? And if you're silent, then you'll have to take responsibility for that. You should have whatsoever he saith. So you have to do three times more teaching on the saying department. The saying department. I love Psalm 91 where it says, I will say of the Lord. In other words, the whole insurance policy of Psalm 91 is I will say Come on, that's where you signed on to the contract. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. Everybody say, I will say. I will say. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now, when it comes to the faith part, you already have a measure of the God kind of faith because God gave you a measure. So you already got it. It's been dealt to you. That measure can actually grow. Now, some people say, well, I don't believe you can grow in faith. Well, let me ask you this. Can you grow in revelation knowledge? Yes. Well, if you can grow in revelation knowledge, you can grow in faith. Amen. All right, let's try this side over. I said, if you can grow in revelation knowledge, because that's where faith comes from. Yes. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So if you could hear better, come on. I mean, know your faith would work better. Amen. So Paul's prayer for believers, come on now. The real barrier is where? In our knowledge. So Paul's prayer for believers is what's his prayer. Father God, I'm asking that you give unto them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. Let's try that again. Father God, I'm asking you, come on. So he said, really, your problem is not dedication. It's really revelation. God, I'm asking you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation because every breakthrough in faith comes from a breakthrough in revelation knowledge. And you can grow in revelation knowledge. Matter of fact, to know the Lord and to know his word, come on, and to increase in the knowledge of God would literally cause your faith to function at a higher level. Amen. 
Praise the Lord. Praise Which means you're not stuck where you're at. Let's try that one. I said, you ain't stuck where you're at. That means you can get better results in the next 12 months than you've ever gotten in your life. Amen. Amen. So now here's what Smith Wigglesworth said. He's got a little book called Ever Increasing Faith and been around for many, many years. And it's a book of his sermons. So he's got a couple things about faith in there. Raised 23 people from the dead. He knows something about it. And you're still working on your first one, so you ought to learn something. Raised 23 people from the dead. You're like, when he talks, we listen, right? So Wigglesworth said this. One of my favorite quotes from Wigglesworth. He said, any man or person can be changed by faith no matter how they may be fettered. The word fettered is the word for bound. Any person can be changed by faith no matter how they may be bound. What does that mean? That means the devil cannot make a bondage that your faith cannot break off of you. Hallelujah. That means you just entered into a whosoever shall have whatsoever. Come on, that means your whole world of possibilities has just opened up that God said whosoever shall have whatsoever. So I'm like, wow, any person can be changed. In other words, your faith will work in every facet of your life. It will literally work on your body. It will work in your mind, on your thoughts, on your emotions. It will work in your soul. It will work in your body. It will work in your spirit. It will work in every facet of your life. When you live by faith, yes. amen. amen? And Wigglesworth said God has designed that the just shall live by faith. Four times the just shall live by faith. Actually, Paul calls faith a spiritual law, Romans 3.27. He says the law of faith. In other words, it works the same for everybody, works the same all the time, and it's been working the same for a long time. All right, y'all still with me here. So when Dad Hagen said faith works by believing and by speaking, then here's what I got, right? My faith is in God. My faith is in the Word of God. My faith is in the blood of Jesus. My faith is in the name of Jesus. My faith is in the unfailing word of God. Come on. My faith is in the power of God, his ability, not my ability, his ability. And my faith accesses the grace of God. Praise the Lord. So how does faith work? He said it works by believing and speaking. Amen. So here in this case, Jesus said, whosoever shall say to this mountain. So I, st I was reading that and I thought, now why did he have to say mountain? Because he had just spoken to the fig tree. We're really already impressed with that. <laughs> I said, we're already impressed with the tree. Are y'all impressed with the tree? I mean, his own disciples were like, Jesus, <laughs> look at that. <laughs> Matter of fact, if you'll study the four Gospels, uh, the, the only thing that really impressed the disciples was Jesus' words. They were really never impressed with, you know, the, the, how nice his clothes were, how cute his face was, how long his hair was, how nice his grill was, how nice his donkey was. They never said nothing about that. But they often said, no man ever spake like this man. They said something happens when he speaks. Yeah. 
The sick get healed and demons leave just at the sound of his voice. Storms stop just when he's talking. Amen. So there's no physical description of Jesus in the four Gospels. People draw pictures, but there's no physical description. That means they're impressed with his words. They got so impressed with his words that if you're going to fall in love with Jesus, you have to fall in love with his word. Are y'all still in here? Amen. So when it comes to faith in God, there's only two times in the New Testament that Jesus was ever really amazed. Only two times it says he marveled. Only two times he marveled. He only marveled twice. Twice. Come on. Out of all those years and all the things people are impressed. Matter of fact, with, they tried to impress him with the temple. They said, boy, it's an amazing temple. He said, ah, I'll tear it down and rebuild it in three days. So <laughs> Jesus only marveled what? Twice. He only marveled twice. Now, why didn't he marvel more? Well, because if you've been around forever, you don't marvel the way other people marvel because you've already seen everything at least once. So what they were impressed with, Jesus was not impressed with. They'd say, boy, look at that, Lord. Lord. Uh, actually, I uh, was here in creation when there was nothing. <laughs> so Jesus only marveled twice. When did he marvel? He marveled once. When he said he marveled at their unbelief. So unbelief made him go, wow, I've never seen such unbelief. That's pretty amazing, unbelief. And the only other time he marveled was he marveled at the centurion's faith. What did the centurion say? Speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. And Jesus did what? He marveled. Now, they must have been able to tell he was marveling. <laughs> Come on, they're right, and they're like, I think he's marveling right now. I've, I've, only seen him, I've only seen him do that one other time. So if Jesus marveled, <laughs> let's see if we can't get the marvel look on your face every now and then. You go. So Jesus must have had the marveling look on his face, right? Because he only did it twice, right? He marveled at unbelief, and then he marveled when the centurion said what? Speak the word only, which means the law of faith activated by the centurion means that the spoken word of God is as good as a personal visitation from Jesus. And Jesus went, whoa. And the other disciples were like, what did he say? What did he say? Uh, you know, how come you didn't think of that, Peter? I mean, Peter's like, well, why didn't you think of it, John? John's like, well, um, I don't know. I, didn't, I never thought of that. Speak the word only. I don't know where you got that from. Well, how do you think of that, you know? So when you get to heaven, come on, you're going to see somebody at the head table. Say, how do you get there? Uh, he said something like, speak the word only. He's a centurion. He didn't even go to their Bible school. It's amazing that we think everybody's got to go to our Bible school. Well, he didn't even go to none of their Bible school. And Jesus said, that's amazing. Peter, James, Johnson, I don't know why I couldn't have come up with that. Anyway, so when he says, speak the word only, the spoken word of God, whoo, come on, carries the same authority as the presence of God. So when he marveled at unbelief and he marveled at, I have not found so great faith in this whole nation. 
almost implying that he was looking for it. He's just looking for somebody that would believe. Right? So, if unbelief, and the way Dad Hagen said, unbelief is the thief of God's best blessings. Unbelief. And there's two kinds of unbelief. The first kind of unbelief is simply lack of knowledge. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So you could have unbelief just because you don't know what the word says about something. Right? So the first kind of unbelief is what? Lack of knowledge. How many believe that's curable? Or first kind of unbelief is simply ignorance. You just don't know. Right? And ignorance is curable. You know? Even Andy Griffith told Ernest T. Bass that. So uh, <laughs> ignorance is curable. <laughs> so the first kind of unbelief is curable, isn't it? How do you get that? Revelation, knowledge of the Word of God. Second kind of unbelief is, Dad Hagen said, is being unpersuaded to act on the Word. Unpersuaded to act on the Word. Or disobedience unpersuaded to act. In other words, you know what the word says, so you'd call this educated unbelief. You know what the word says about it, but you're like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to do that or not. I don't know if I'm going to act on the word in that area. And so how many know that that is curable? Unpersuaded to act. How do you cure that? You cure it by acting on the word. In other words, in other words, your faith is able to perform and you act on the word. Amen. What God has promised, he's able to perform and you act on the word. Amen. Woo, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. And the moment you act on the word, yeah. God makes himself responsible for your results. Yeah. Woo, that's good. Amen. All right, let's try that one. In other words, faith is an act, but it's not just any kind of an act. Faith is an act on revelation knowledge. Our faith is acting on the word of God. You know what the word says and you act on that word. The moment you act on the word, whoo, God makes himself responsible for your results. Until you act on the word, you are responsible for your results. The moment you act on the word, the pressure is on God who is the performer. <laughs> you say, Amen. So, now, when it comes to believing and speaking, opens the door to the supernatural. Now, faith in God, I believe, and I speak, and I open the door to the supernatural. All right? Here's the way the Lord explained it to me. Jesus spoke to the fig tree. Come on, cranks it up to the mountain. Now, he said, when you say to the mountain, what are you going to say to the mountain? He said, you're talking to the mountain, so you're not talking to God about it. You're talking to it. Why do you use a mountain? Because it just looks impossible. Say to the mountain, <laughs> what are you going to say to the mountain? Be removed. Be cast into the sea. What does that mean? The sea has the capacity to receive it, come on, and dissolve it, right? Cast into the sea means it's not coming back. Next thing that means is there'll be no evidence it was there. That means you and I have authority to deal with situations in our lives that this time next year, there'll be no evidence you even had that problem. He said, cast into the sea. That means it's not coming back. 
no evidence it was even there, you'll have to testify and tell people you have that problem because you will not have that problem in the future because that mountain of what? Come on, whatever it is, of lack, come on now, of whatever it is, come on, be removed. In our case, our case, my wife, 25 years ago, had a brain tumor. The doctor's diagnosed her, said it was inoperable. Said my wife, he said she'll be actually paralyzed for the rest of her life. Well, man, that's 25 years ago. My wife is perfectly, perfectly well today. No evidence she ever had a brain tumor. You say, well, what did you do? Well, we just went into the hospital room where the doctors had diagnosed her, and I just acted on Mark eleven twenty three. 23. I said, Jesus said, Mark eleven twenty three. 23, have faith in God. Come on. I believe God, and I believe the Word of God. So I say to you, tumor, you be removed, come on, and you be cast into the sea means that you have to leave, disappear, don't come back, and there'll be no evidence you were there. Wow. You say, boy, did you shout and run? No, actually, I didn't feel nothing. I just said what Jesus said. The feelings show up later. People are looking for the feeling. I didn't feel nothing. Well, no, you'll feel something later. Now, we could get to that if we have time to say it. Now, so you say, come on, you say, you're acting on the word. So the doctor took her in for surgery eight days later, and he said the tumor has totally disappeared. It's totally gone. Well, that's 25 years ago. So, hallelujah. Here's the way the Lord said to me. He said, your faith will not necessarily prevent all mountains, but it will move all mountains. Yes, yes. So don't be upset when you see a mountain show up because the devil's going to see to it. Come on, that troubles come up. But you have authority as a believer. You're not a victim of just whatever happens to you. You use your faith and you believe and speak. Now here is the way the Lord explained it to me. He said, when you believe and speak, you open the door to the supernatural. Aha, so it's not my job to move the tumor, which would be impossible for me. But it is not impossible for God. So it's my job to do what? Believe, speak, and open the door to the supernatural. Aha, I got it. All right. So now, my job to believe the word of God. Come on now. To have faith in the blood of Jesus. Have faith in the name of Jesus. To believe, and then it's my job to do what? Speak, and that opens the door to the supernatural. What does that mean? It's not my job to move the tumor. It's my job to arrange the introduction of the tumor to God. So when I believe and speak, I open the door and say, Mr. Tumor, I'd like to introduce you to God. There is a God, and I'm not him. In other words, there's no pressure on me to move the tumor, no pressure on me to make even an ugly face while I'm saying this. There's no pressure on me to try to make it happen, and I'm not going to be embarrassed if it don't happen. It ain't my job, come on now, to figure out whether it's going to happen or not, how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. It's my job, come on now, to believe and to speak, and now, tumor, meet God. God has a reputation for taking care of stuff like this. Come on now. And on the cross, Jesus not only took my sins, but he took my sicknesses and took my diseases. And by his stripes, we were. Hallelujah. 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 In other words, every believer has this kind of authority in your life. Amen. And this kind of authority that you have is based on what happened 
when God raised Christ from the dead. And he literally says the same power belongs to every believer. Every believer. In other words, you don't even have to be a preacher. Come on, you don't even have to be a TV preacher. You don't even have to be, come on. Devil is just a charismatic, talented preacher. All you got to do is be a believer. The devil is just as, as afraid, come on, of one little woman's faith as he is of anybody else in the universe. In other words, when you dare to believe and speak, then demons have to stop in their assignments, come on, and you open the door to the supernatural, and here comes God, and he confirms his word with signs following. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Come on, that's the, that's the introduction to this message here. And I'm, I'm, my time's already up here. Praise the Lord. He calls that the law of faith. <laughs> it is the law of faith. That means it works the same. So one of the most important things that I taught my children growing up is how to have faith in God. Not just to tell them to have faith in God, but tell them how to have faith in God. How to feed their faith and how to exercise their faith. Woo, come on. And it goes to your children. Go to your grandchildren. Faith in God. Faith in the blood of Jesus. Faith in the name of Jesus. Faith in the power that raised Christ from the dead. Tremendous power. Hallelujah. In other words, your faith will come first, then the power. Come on. The feelings, it will register on your, come on, your sight and your circumstances and your feelings. But the faith comes first and the feelings come later. God designed that the just shall live by faith. He calls it a spiritual law. Amen. The law. It's a law. Right? What does that mean? Well, you have to tell the devil what he's doing is illegal. <laughs> because I'm operating in the law of faith. What's the law of faith? And the law of the spirit of life in Christ. Come on. And the law of sowing and reaping. Come on. And the royal law, which is the law of love. What does that do? I love Romans 8 too. Let me finish with this. The law of the spirit of life in Christ lifts me out of the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life in Christ made me free from the law of sin. It didn't say that law is not there. It just said it no longer governs you. So Paul said there's another law called the law of the spirit of life. Oh, we have our own jet, Citation 3. It's a real fast jet, real nice. My wife, we sit on that jet. My wife says, this is my favorite part. What is that? Lift off. <laughs> and that's a fast jet. So when that thing goes down that runway, takes off. Come on. And when it lifts off, come on, you'll be at 3,000 feet in no time, 4,000, 10,000, 20,000. Come on, sometimes it'll be a cloudy day, and people say, whoo, I wish the sun was shining. And I always say, you know it is. Up there. It's always shining up here. So sometimes people say, boy, I wish things. It it is. There's a law that can get you up there. The law of lift supersedes the law of gravity. Come on now. And there's a lift off, right? And the moment you activate that law tells you how it works. The law of faith tells you how the law of spirit of life works in Romans chapter 8. Whoo, because you're in Christ. The law of the spirit of life in Christ. Praise the Lord, lifts you out 
of the law of sin and death. In other words, what sin and death would produce and the consequences of that have been reversed by another law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ, which is the law of life in Christ, which comes from the blood of Jesus. Come on now, the power of his resurrection. Woo, you just look a lot better in Christ than you do outside. Amen? Amen. So the moment you activate that law, you take your place three times what you say. What you say? What you say? And there's always a group, you know, people don't like that faith. I don't like that faith, that confession, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, and all, it's all kinds of nice, cute little things. I said, well, you don't like Jesus very much. And the Apostle Paul's the one that said the word of faith that we preach. So, y'all see? So that's the way faith works, right? Amen? And so in that area, the law of the spirit of life in Christ, lifts you out. So I said, well, we, we don't really like all that saying stuff. I said, well, go over to James chapter 3 if you don't like it. <laughs> James chapter 3, verse 2. 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. What's it say? Your tongue? Aha, we have found the problem. <laughs> the tongue. Yeah. They should make a movie and call it The Tongue. <laughs> the damage done by the tongue. Well, people can be pretty wicked with their tongue, yeah. Yeah. right? What about the tongue? So James is saying, the tongue, <laughs> the most difficult part of you to control? Come on. And he says, really, no man can tame it. By the time you think you got it tamed, it'll just bust out and do some funky <laughs> like and I thought it was a nice tongue, right? And so your tongue will break out of the pen, you know, and bite somebody. So you got to watch your tongue, right? All right? And so he says your tongue is a small member, but your tongue actually exercises the greatest influence in your whole life. So true. Your tongue. So he says your tongue will determine in the face of a storm, not the wind, not the circumstances, but your tongue will determine your direction and your destination. Your tongue, all right? What is probably 40 years ago, I was listening to Yonggi Cho preach from Seoul, Korea, who had the largest church in the world. And he was preaching on your words 40 years ago. I heard him again about five years ago, and he preached the same message he did 40 years ago. So I thought, apparently I need to hear this again. So he preached on the power of your words and your confession, what you say. And when he taught on it, he said something very simple. He said, I was eating with a leading neurosurgeon in Seoul, Korea. The leading, best brain surgeon, neurosurgeon in Seoul, Korea. He said, while we're eating, the leading neurosurgeon said, we have a new discovery in the study of the brain. We have discovered that the speech center in the brain exercises dominion over the whole central nervous system. He said, the way we know, he said, when we do surgery on somebody's brain, he said, we can probe different parts of the brain and different parts of the body will respond. He said, but when we probe the speech center, the whole body responds. So we have determined that the speech center in the brain exercised dominion over the whole body. He said, so much so that we listen to what people say before they go into surgery, because if they say, I'm so afraid, we try to get them to stop saying that, because that affects their whole body and even the success of the surgery. So, he said, uh, if somebody says, I'm getting so old, the speech center sends a message out to body, says, prepare to die. Wow. 
He said, if somebody says, I'm just, I'm just so weak, speech center in the brain sends a message out to the whole body, prepare to be weak. Wow. Y'all, so his, this is a neurosurgeon. So he's talking to Pastor Cho. So Pastor Cho goes, oh, he says, I know this a long time. <laughs> neurosurgeon says, how you know long time? New discovery. <laughs> how you know long time? Pastor says, from Dr. James. Neurosurgeon says, who Dr. James? <laughs> Pastor Cho says, Dr. James, New Testament. <laughs> Tongue, tiny member control, whole body. <laughs> In other words, medical science thinks they have a new discovery. And Pastor Cho said, Dr. James, know this long time. <laughs> Everybody say long time. Long time. So that means Dr. James tells you your tongue will affect your whole body. So sometimes people get mad about the words or confession or what you're saying. What Jesus said was a law of faith. He said, and your tongue is what activates things. He said the whole course of nature is affected by your words. Woo, praise the Lord. And so there's some tremendous power in your words, but listen close. The word of God, when he puts it in your mouth, God told Jeremiah, I'm going to take my word, put it in your mouth. Praise the Lord. In other words, the word of God is a spoken thing. It came out of God's mouth. Let's try that again. The word of God is a spoken thing. What does that mean? It did not come out of God's pen. It came out of God's mouth. The word of God came out of God's mouth. And that word in your mouth is designed to be spoken. When you put the word of God in your mouth, we call that mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Y'all still with me here? You take God's word, put it in your mouth, and you breathe in the faith of God. You breathe in the life of God. When you take God's word, put it in your mouth. Come on. It's designed to be spoken. Or you could say the authority that you have comes from the sound of your words. Hmm. Or in Genesis 1, sound came before sight. So many people want to change a scenery, but God says you'll have to make a different sound if you want a change of scenery. Or you could say it this way, the spirit of faith will take the whine out of your voice. It'll take the victim out of your voice. Come on, it'll put victory in your voice. It'll put authority in your voice because you take that word and put it in your mouth. Amen. Lift your hands up and thank God for the word. Praise the Lord.